Welcome to Stories That Matter, a podcast brought to you by STM Marketing. We're a specialist professional services marketing agency, and we believe that the role of marketing is to make people feel something, because that's the way to create positive change. And that the best way to do that is through the stories we tell. In this, our very first episode, we were thrilled to talk to Anne Morgan. Her story is an incredible journey that teaches us all about the power of stories, community, and why stories really do matter. We hope you enjoy it. Anne, hello. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Uh, We are so thrilled that you are our first ever guest on this new uh, podcast series we have uh, called Stories That Matter. And I'll be honest, I can think of no better start than to have you um, for reasons that I think will probably become clear to people uh, listening over the course of the next um, 30, 35, 40 minutes. Um, As you know, I was incredibly engaged by the TED Talk that you gave uh, some 10 years ago um, for all sorts of reasons we can touch on. Um, And many of the people listening won't maybe have seen that TED Talk and certainly won't be aware of what I'm talking about and and how it relates to stories and stories that matter. So I just wonder whether you could kick off, we could kick off by talking about what happened that year, uh, what you did, how it kind of transpired and, 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 you know, really um, the the, the process you went through, because it's a fantastic story. Yeah, well, the whole thing started really back in late 2011 when um, someone made a chance comment to me that made me look at my bookshelves in a new light. And I'd always thought that I was a really well-read and sort of cosmopolitan person. But actually, what I found up there was a bit of a different story because most of the books that I had spent nearly 30 years of my life reading were written in English. uh, And most of them were from Britain and North America. And when I started to think about that, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. You know, I wanted to be a writer. I'd spent a long time trying to write books myself. And I I thought, you know, there must be lots of amazing stories out there written in other languages, translated into English. Why would I cut myself off from that? Now, 2012, back in the midst of time, you may remember, was a very international year for the UK. We had the Olympics coming. It was the Queen's Jubilee again, so that that was the same. But it was rather a different world in many ways. Um, And there was a really optimistic, international, outward-looking feel. So it seemed to me like a great time to go and see if I could meet the world through books. And I set myself the quite eccentric crazy goal of trying to spend 2012 reading a book from every country in the world uh, in a year which really when I set out to do it I had no idea what it would entail Um, but I quickly realized I was going to need help and so I asked the world for help for recommendations about what I should read and pretty quickly people all over the planet were getting in touch not just giving me suggestions but also uh, offering to do things for me to send me books to go to bookshops on my behalf and even in some cases to write and translate things for me so it was quite an extraordinary year fantastic um yeah and 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 i i want to take you back because um uh, it's a wonderful story for for anybody uh, like me and, and many people listening who love books and love stories. It's a the most fabulous story for all sorts of reasons. 
But let me take you back, as you say, 2012, feel good factor. It, it, you know, everybody felt great, didn't they, about particularly the Olympics here and, um, and what an Olympics it was. But it's one thing to identify that about your bookshelf, okay? And many of us probably would, would be able to do the same. It's another thing to then say, well, maybe I need to widen my kind of scope of reading. It's another thing altogether to then make the leap of why don't I read a book from every country in the world um, and, 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 and then do it. I mean, that, that's the most extraordinary thing I think about it. So just t- take me back to that period when, what did you then do? I mean, how do you come up with a list of approved countries? You know, how did you make reach out? How did you then build your network? And, and fundamentally, how did you go about reading that many books in, in the context of, uh, of the period of time that we're talking about? Yeah, well, it was it was a funny one. The world, not just the world, but the internet was quite a different place in those days, actually. And I'm not sure whether it would be possible to do what I did in quite the same way these days, because I don't think it's quite as possible for an unknown individual to have global reach in the way that I did. Um, but back then, um, really, it was I was fortunate at the time. I was. Um, freelancing at the Guardian newspaper and I happened to share this idea once I launched my my blog which was a year of reading the world.com um, and I had um, put this appeal up which is a really short 300 word appeal explaining uh, who I was why I wanted to do this um, I just shared that appeal asking for suggestions um, with uh, the, the newspaper staff and actually it wasn't really the journalists who got involved it was people in sales people in other departments who started sharing it with people they knew and so it went that way and it got passed very quickly but what really sort of forced my hand was that four days after I posted that appeal online I got a message from a woman in Kuala Lumpur called Rafida who said, oh, I've heard about your project. I'd like to offer to go to my local English language bookshop and choose your Malaysian book and post it to you. And this was back in late October 2011. And yeah. I was planning to sort of start getting organised. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. That's so generous. A stranger 6,000 miles away has offered to do this incredible thing. So I enthusiastically accepted. And as soon as I hit send on the comment, I thought, oh God, I've really got to do this now. There's a woman (laughs) on the other side of the world going to all this trouble. I can't let her down. And really, I think that was a big part in what motivated me that from almost the start, I had this real buy-in from people all over the place, people really getting behind it and going out of their way to support me. Um, And that meant that I had to be organised about it. I had to be, um, I had to work out how to make it work. So in terms of the timing, well, at the time I was working five days a week um, and commuting into London five days a week. Um, so I knew I had to be organised. So I worked out my list of countries. Now, the question of how many countries are there in the world is a whole can of worms. Which <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask about that. Yeah. <laughs> there isn't really one answer to that. I mean, anyone who watches the news will know that um, different people have different views on that. Indeed. Um However, what I did for my purposes, I went with the list of UN recognised nations. Um, of which there are 196, is that right? Uh, there are 195. Five. And I added Taiwan to that list because it used to be a UN member. Um, that's a whole other story. Okay. And then in the end, I finally did one extra sort of wildcard choice, which people chose for me to represent the fact that there are a whole host of other 
nations that aren't on that list. Yeah. And so people voted and it ended up being Kurdistan. Um, so it was 197 in total, but officially 196. And what about the whole issue of translation? Because presumably mm. there were some countries that you were seeking books from where there were no translated versions. And I, I'm, I, I'm assuming you didn't attempt to learn 197 languages <laughs> at the same time, although... No, no, that would have been that would have been a whole uh, challenge too too big for me. I yeah, think yeah. certainly. Um, no, I I realised I decided pretty quickly I can very slowly read French and German, but actually I decided only to read in English because a, a translator I spoke to before I started the project said no, do it in English because that otherwise it makes it about you. Whereas this should be can one person in London or in the UK do this? You know, is it possible? Um, and and actually, I'm really glad I did that because um, English is important for all sorts of reasons. It's the world's most published language. It's the closest thing we have to a global lingua franca. And so actually a book being available in English has a massive impact on how many readers it can reach around the world. Mm. And it's chances of success. It's chances of having a lasting impact. Um, and what I found fascinating was that many countries that I would assume would have books translated into English because they have very widely spoken official languages don't necessarily so a lot of French speaking and Portuguese speaking African countries have little or no literature available in translation in English and that's not because there aren't books and there aren't great writers working in those countries it's because of the global market forces the imbalance in who's got the loudest voice and who appears at the book fairs and sells books to publishers um and actually so it meant that some of the countries that i struggled to find anything commercially available for in translation from which was around 11 or so on of the list of un nations um were countries in french and portuguese speaking africa um and in fact sao tome and principe which is a tiny african island nation uh, where Portuguese is an official language, um, was uh, a country where a team of volunteers actually um, got together and translated a whole collection of short stories for me so wow. that I would have a book to read um, because there was nothing available to buy in English translation from there. Wow. Um, an incredible, <clears throat> I mean, an incredible uh, story, if you like, of the power of community, not just in the community that came together to to, to, to help you choose the books, but the community that then came together in those 10 or 11 countries you needed them to, to, to translate those books. And I suppose if I sit back and think about that, it, it demonstrates to me and I'm sure to you that, that, that stories are one of those things that bind communities and bind countries and bind groups of people, I guess. And, and, and that's why I, I suppose you were so successful in finding and building yeah. that community i mean i think i'd go further than that in that i would say actually people often say to me oh reading all those books you know what did you learn as though there were some sort of you know key realizations about stories or about people buried in in all these books now if there are kind of overall themes in the world stories that you can pick out and sort of say this is universally true about how we tell stories about schools or love or whatever you need to do a lot more reading than i was able to do in that yeah. year one book from every country is not going to answer that but what the quest did show me is that storytelling is a universal human impulse we all do it 
and we're all fascinated by it. And because of that, it is an extraordinary tool to bring people together across all kinds of barriers, cultural, religious, geographical, political. Um, and what's so powerful about it as well is that it breaks down polarization and the othering that we so often fall into the trap of, particularly these days with the very sort of um, binary polarized debates that we often see on social media and the internet. Um, if you actually read a story um, by someone who has quite a different perspective to your own, you will be taken into their worldview to a certain extent. You will see the world through their eyes. And while you may not, you may never totally agree with them, you will have to recognize your common humanity and see the things that, that you share. And that is the basis for discussion. That is the way we get things done. So I think storytelling is an extraordinary tool to bring us together and to achieve things, particularly given all the challenges we face as, as you know, the human race these days. Yes, we could not agree more with that. And uh, what a powerful, what a powerful way to express something that we all know. You know, the power of storytelling and what it does to us. And uh, and uh, we could talk for hours about the neuroscience <laughs> of storytelling, and we often bore our clients to death with that. Um, so it, well, I certainly won't do it on this podcast, but. Um, what else did you learn about human nature during the process, if anything? Well, I was amazed by the generosity that I experienced, um, the way that people were so uh, open. Um, and I think one of the reasons why the quest succeeded um, and why it drew so much um, interest from so many different people was uh, the way that I embraced not knowing I held my hands up and said I don't know I've realized I'm ignorant about this I don't know this and I would like to find out more I'd like to correct this blind spot I have um and I need help I, I would really appreciate any help or advice you can give me and I think people respond really well to that openness to that or it's not something that we're often terribly comfortable with as as people to say I've realised I don't know this, um, you know, and I'm actually a little embarrassed. I think it's wrong that I don't know this. I think I should know more about this. We're sort of um, encouraged to be, you know, quite sort of um, confident and, and sort of assertive in our views and our opinions. And a lot of our education system is built around getting the right answer and, um, you know, getting a tick in the box. Um, and there are, of course, useful things that come with that, useful skills that you learn, and knowledge is a valuable thing. But actually, there's something very disarming um, and I think winning about um, someone just being quite open about not knowing, not in a sort of um, complacent, oh, shrug, I don't know, I don't care, but um, an open, curious, um, I've realised this gap in my education and I'd like to, to yeah, know more. And, and that... Listen, that, that issue of curiosity, that, that ability to be curious, you know, lies at the heart of, uh, of, of much of what makes the world go round in an you know, incredibly positive way. And of course, you know, that, that notion of us learning how to answer questions is an interesting one, isn't it? Because, of course, you, you found out in this process that one of the keys is also the ability to ask the right questions. Tell me, I'm fascinated, the, um, your friend in Kuala Lumpur who kicked the process off. Are you still in contact with her? 
on and off yes I haven't heard from her for a couple of years but every so often we've exchanged emails when my uh, book Reading the World was first published in uh, 2015 I sent her a copy um, as a thank you for her the book she'd sent me and she sent me a photograph of it having arrived in her apartment Um, and and that was lovely to see Um, yeah but there are so many other people as well through the quest that I've I've remained in touch with on and off not just readers who who recommended things but also writers and translators um who get in touch every so often and let me know what's going on um and in fact yeah one in particular i, I spoke to you earlier this year i may talk to you later because i think it, it relates to one of your questions so i won't i won't spoil that now but um uh yeah it's 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 really that's a, an astonishing thing as well i think is that people um whoever they may be and I've had some amazing interactions with all kinds of readers all over the world in all kinds of circumstances with whom on paper I've got nothing in common but we've read the same book or we're both interested in literature from a particular place and that creates this extraordinary common ground um and and it's amazing how that that just connects you and gives you this this um foundation on which you can build yeah incredible the power of universality and uh, emotion and um, again that kind of central theme which I guess this podcast is all about really you know that, that stories really do matter and mm. and the ability to to, 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 to to capture and craft great stories lies at the heart of uh, you know one of the things that makes life you know an amazing thing um, I'm fascinated uh, I mean I could talk for you hours but but we, we haven't got hours sadly but um, Tell me this, uh, based on that 196, would you say there were certain countries that you thought, wow, I can only read one book from this country. I wish I could delve into it more. You know, what what were the kind of Olympic gold, silver and bronze medal winners of interesting (laughs) books I read? Well, well, oh, gosh. Well, I mean, that's a whole different question. Yeah, I mean. It's it's very difficult. I'm often asked what were your favourite books, and and I find that a really difficult question to answer because there were so many brilliant books, and there were so many books that meant things to me for different reasons, for that weren't necessarily just to do with the book themselves. Um, so, in terms of you know things that things that were interesting, um, a book that meant a lot to me was the book I read for Burundi, which was um, sent to me by the author herself um, after I contacted a. a international refugee association trying to find a book in english from burundi that i could read and someone I got all kinds of messages sent to me through this network um people suggesting books in uh, that were written in english by academics about the country historical um uh, you know histories of the country none of which were quite what i was looking for and then one person said i was at school with someone in burundi um who wrote a novel and here's here's her name i don't know what's happened to her though and I managed to find her and she was now an academic at a university in Nigeria and she couriered me a copy of this novel with a special message wishing me success um, in my quest. And I read this this novel called Weep Not Refugee, which was a really um, raw and heartfelt account of the refugee experiences of a number of her friends and family. Uh, she herself lived through um, the earlier genocide uh, and witnessed um, some of the killing herself and... Um, had a lasting impact on her. We've remained in touch. We hear from each other every so often, um, and and she's still writing. Um, but that book, it it meant a lot to me because of what had come with it and what surrounded it, and it felt like a really sort of 
um, valuable and important insight in terms of um, countries. I mean, there were lots of countries that had huge amounts available, just as there were some countries that didn't really have anything. India was by far and away the most difficult when it came to choosing one I'm book. I'm sure, I mean, actually, what an, yeah. What, yeah, what <clears throat> an insane thing to try and do, try and choose one book to stand for India. And I have to say, this was a big thing with my quest that I never, what I saw what I was doing was never to try and find a book that would represent a nation or that would be the voice of that nation. I don't think that's possible really. And I don't think it's, um, we should be looking for sort of one token thing for each group of people or each country or each region, whatever, how we think about these things. We need lots of stories and lots of different contrasting stories. Um, But India, and for me, the whole quest was never about sort of finding the definitive story from each country or the best. It was about finding, accessing voices, really, and seeing what was out there, exploring, and not always making the obvious choice. But when it came to India, it was so difficult because I had so many recommendations. And every time I asked someone to help me choose, they just made more suggestions. (laughs) And on my blog, um, I, I kind of kept a record of all the valid suggestions that were made to me during the year and immediately after it um and if you look you'll see india is by far and away the the biggest chunk um and i was really i it was one i kept putting off trying to decide i would sort of i was reading i was very focused and structured with my reading so i knew i had to read four books a week to stay slightly ahead of where i needed to be in case anything happened and i i I went blind for a couple of weeks and couldn't read or something um so I, i was sort of reading slightly faster than i had to and And I always was sorting out which books I was going to read next a couple of weeks in advance. And India, I just kept putting it off and putting off, hoping that an answer would come. And then fortunately, um, a a journalist called Sunita Balakrishnan, who lives in India, she uh, stopped by my blog and she said, oh, I see that all the suggestions you've had for uh, literature from India are books written in English, which obviously is an official language in India. Um, however, to me, to my mind, that's second best to um, the literature we have in the 22 other official languages and many other non-official languages spoken here. She said, my favourite writer is a writer called M.T. Vasudhavan Nair, who writes in Malayalam, and I recommend that you try and get hold of one of his books. And I thought, Yet again, and this is what happened to me repeatedly, another blind spot revealed. You know, the further you go, the further you realise you have to go, the further you discover there's more you don't know. And here was another massive oversight that I'd made, a massive sort of assumption, or not even an assumption, but just something I hadn't thought about, was the fact that, you know, really, there were all these amazing stories in translation um, in India that, you know, I should be looking into. And so I took her up on her challenge, and I found... Um, a, a translation of uh, one of the Sudhavan Nair's novels called Kalam and read that and that was an, a wonderful book a really truly extraordinary um, and engrossing novel and I'm very grateful to her in fact she started off the back of our conversation she started her own reading across India project oh, wow. to highlight more wow. of the um, translated fiction that India has and it's been great to see in the last 10 years there's been a lot more focus on um Indian literature in languages other than English and there are some truly amazing novels out there we only get to see a tiny tiny proportion of yeah them. incredible I, I love that notion of the further you go the further you realize you have to go that's a yeah. great that's a great kind of metaphor for so many things actually so fascinating um, and amazing amazing kind of story so far um, 
I want to take you back though, because you were doing it and you did it over a certain year. And you, I guess you must have thought, this is a year's project. I'm going to be in and out. It'll be great. I'll read 196 books. I'll learn a great deal and I'll, you know, and, and I'll, uh, I'll help that curiosity if you like. But it didn't turn out that way, did it? Because 10 years on, it's become effectively part of your life's work. Tell me about yeah. what's happened really since then and how it's kind of blossomed into a quite extraordinary project that's touched even more people in, in even more interesting ways. Yeah, well, I really, I was very naive about this project in lots of ways. I mean, when I started it, I honestly didn't do it for anything other than personal interest. I didn't think that this was going to become a blog that would interest people around the world. I didn't envisage that it would lead to a book, which was kind of crazy, really, because I'd been I'd spent my 20s trying to be a writer. Um, but for some reason, I didn't I didn't think that this would be um, something that would make a book. It was only when the literary editor of the Scotsman newspaper said to me, well, surely you're going to do a book about this. I thought, oh. Well, maybe, I don't know, maybe I am, maybe I should. Um, so, yeah, so I was na naive at the start and I was naive at the end because I honestly thought that I would do my final post on um, New Year's Eve 2012 uh, and sort of um, put my last post up, which was my UK choice, Coming Home, uh, which I read a book in translation from Welsh from because I realised despite being the granddaughter of a Welsh speaker, I'd never read any Welsh language literature. And that was going to be my last post. And then I would take a bow and disappear off into the sunset. And that would be that. Um, and I, was, I have to confess, I did disappear for a little while because I was exhausted. I mean, I really, it was. I bet, big I bet. Exhausted yeah. and pretty word blind, I would think. To a certain, well, yes, although actually my reading speed by that stage was so high that it was, people said it was a bit like an Olympic athlete, athlete down training. Yeah, you've done, you've done your 10,000 hours of, tra of elite training, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so reading one book a week felt really slow to me, but by that, you know, it was kind of, that was, oh, this is snail's pace. Um, so, um, yeah, I honestly thought, and but the thing was, messages kept coming in. Um, people kept contacting me after the project ended and kept sending me messages and it was all kinds of people uh, from teachers wanting to use my project to sort of share with their class and asking suggestions about different kinds of books uh, to uh, booksellers who wanted to broaden their international offerings to people doing their own reading quests all over the planet in different ways sometimes using my list as a sort of jumping off point sometimes constructing their own things people doing related projects I heard from students in Mexico who'd been inspired by my book to start a giving away books program at a bus stop in Incredible. their town for people who couldn't afford to buy books there were all these kind of things that it, and different tangents that people were taking um, and it just went on and on and for a long time I just thought I don't know what I can do about this because I, I I've got other things to do. I mm. I've had a novel the year after reading the world, the book came out and I had to write the book reading the world, which took some time to get together. But after that, then I had a novel that was published and I wanted to do other things. And, and these messages kept coming in and it was only about a year and a half later that I, I, I thought, well, I've got to find a way of channeling this. People were still sending me all sorts of amazing information about, books all over the place and um so I started uh to blog again and I started a book of the month slot now what kicked it off um I'm I'm quite proud of this actually but um what kicked it off was um an extraordinary uh 
PR person at a small publisher um, called Europa Editions. Um, and she is a force of nature, um, Daniela Petrarcio. She, she is, I know many people who've been um, directed in their reading by her. She is extraordinarily passionate. And if you, you know, as far as storytellers go, I mean, she is the champion of the storytellers um, when it comes to getting people to read books. She contacted me and said, um, I've got to send you a book. You're going to love it. You've got to read it. Um, it's translated from Italian. And I said, um, well, Daniela, I'm not blogging anymore. I'm not doing reviews anymore, you know. So really, you know, I, there isn't much point. I, I don't want to waste your time. And, you know, she said, yeah. I don't care. I'm still going to send it to you. She sent it to me. Now, it was a book by a writer who at the time was very little known called Elena Ferranti. Mm-hmm. Um, and Anne Goldstein translated it. And I read it. It was the first in the Neapolitan series. Uh, and I thought, well, I've got to tell people about this. Um, this is too good. So I started my book of the month slot with um, my brilliant friend, the Elena Ferranti, yeah. and um, went from there. I still do a book of the month slot every every month um, and will continue to do so through the rest of my life. Now, it's just as well I did that because the year later, the TED Talk came out, my book came out. And after that, things went crazy for several years I mean Mm. there were just sorts of all sorts of invitations to go all over the place to speak in all different sorts of uh, you know sorts of venues and with different people Uh, I found myself on stage with the deputy prime minister of Jordan talking about how storytelling can combat extremism Um, I was uh, delivering lectures at universities in America I was sort of in Guwahati in northeast India at a literary festival there I was amazing wonderful incredible things really amazing um and and actually I realized around that time that this year-long project was going to be a lifelong endeavor and in a funny way I had to sort make a sort of peace with that because it is quite a lot of work it is you know you're sort of never off duty really and you know it's a wonderful thing and I'm entirely delighted by it. Um, but it was something I had to work out how to how to do in a way that I could sustain, but also that felt useful. I didn't want it to be parasitic. You know, I didn't want to be, oh, I've done this project and I'm going to kind of feed off the fact that I've sort of highlighted this gap in the market and, yeah. and be sort of, I'm not interested in that really. I, I wanted it to be useful and I needed to find a way that it could be that. And so I've been fortunate with lots of things. Um, and I've more recently uh, been thinking more about how to develop uh, ways that might be useful to, for people keen to read more widely, approaches to reading for people who are keen to read outside their comfort zone. Yeah, so, so tell me, t- sorry, t- tell me about, yeah, just on that basis, tell mm. me about the incomprehension workshop. Yeah, well, this is something that I launched late last year. I've been very fortunate. I am currently um, the literary explorer in residence at the Cheltenham Literature Festival. I think I'm the first literary explorer in residence anywhere in the world, um, which is rather exciting. And the lovely thing about that is no one really knows what it means. So it means (laughs) I get to make it up. And um, what I have made up is that I get to think of mad ideas and propose them. And every so often the festival says yes. And one of the mad ideas that I proposed was um, launching this workshop that modelled some of the skills um, and some of the approaches to reading that I had developed over my quest. Because when I started reading the world, um, the only people really talking about reading internationally at the time and international storytelling 
were academics. It was wasn't really a very mainstream in, interest. That's changed no. now. There's a lot more interest in reading widely and in translated fiction, um, and festivals like Cheltenham making it a big part of their programming. But back then, it really wasn't. And and so there are a lot of very expert people who've been really helpful to me, um, who spend their lives studying particular kinds of literature and proposing all sorts of ways that you could read. And there's one uh, writer, in, or one professor in particular at Harvard, who had published this book called Reading World Literature, which was aimed at people like me interested in reading more widely. And he'd set out a long list of things you could do to prepare yourself to read the world. Um, which I'm sure would be really, really good if you had the time and money to do all these things. But actually, it would have taken about two years. I mean, this list included learning two other languages, um, <laughs> one from your region of the world and one from another region of the world. So you got a sense of how different language families yeah, work yeah, yeah, and do all kinds of contextual research into the history of the country and the history of the writer and the translator, all of which I'm sure would tell you a huge amount if well, you that's more than a life's work it seems to me that's more than a life's work and the thing is for me for my quest I had 1.87 days for each book so there yeah, was no way that I could do any more so what I had to do was to approach reading in a totally different way and say I don't know I just as I did with the initial start of the quest I don't know there are going to be lots of things I'm not going to get and I'm going to have to be comfortable with not knowing mm. and find a way to have a meaningful interaction with this book, despite not knowing all the answers. Um, and so I developed this thing, the Incomprehension Workshop, which basically turns those exercises we did at school, the comprehension exercises, where you're given a chunk of text and you answer questions about it. You know, what does this word mean? What's going on here? Rewrite this sentence in other words. It turns it on its head. And um, instead of being asked questions, readers are given chunks of text from texts that are going to be way outside their comfort zone. And they are asked, what questions does this raise for you? What makes you uncomfortable? What are you unsure about? Um, what would you want to know more about? Um, and from that, and they don't know, crucially, they don't know where the text is from. They don't know who wrote it or who translated it or when it was published. So coming to it completely blank state. Yeah, what a fantastic uh, idea. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because it's a fascinating way of exploring the role that bias plays in our reading, the gaps that we try and fill in fill in when we're reading, mm. and and it's a it, I found it's been amazing doing it with people both in person and and virtually so far. I've had some great responses. I'm next month I'm running it with um, about a hundred librarians around the world, so that's going to be really interesting to see. What a brilliant thing. So Cheltenham, the Incomprehension Workshop. Can we can we read uh, Reading the World? Is there an updated version of that? Have you done anything to yeah, update yeah, the book absolutely. since you first wrote it? Yeah, well, it's, the lovely thing is that a, a new edition is coming out in September. So seven years after the original was published, it's coming out with a new subtitle and some updates. It's going to be called Reading the World, How I Read a Book from Every Country. And... Um, it's been lovely. I've just recently finished going through the manuscript and updating some of the facts and figures. I've gone back to a few of the interviewees that I talked to for the first edition and added in some fresh information from them. And I've written a new foreword, which reflects on how the world has changed and how storytelling has changed in the last mm. 10 years. And my goodness, that's been an interesting experience. I mean, it's such a different world. Um, and the way our lives work is so different in, in 10 years. Um, so that's been a really fascinating journey, reflecting on that and, and 
seeing and also reflecting on my own journey, which, as I say, has, has led me from this sort of initially naive, quirky one year project to a lifelong venture. A lifelong quest. Well, I, I love yeah. I love the fact uh, that you call it a quest, actually. Um, I don't know whether you do that deliberately or instinctively, but the, the fact you call it a quest says everything to me about how passionately you feel and you are about stories and books and curiosity. And I think for anybody listening to this podcast, and certainly the sense I got when I first listened to your TED Talk, um, you are the living embodiment, uh, Anne, of, of what it means to have a growth mindset. And and actually the living embodiment of the power of creativity and why ideas matter so much, as well as stories. Because it would have been so easy, I think, for you to look at that bookshelf that day and think, yeah, I haven't got too many books from too many countries. I'll I'll pop down to Waterstones and maybe buy myself the odd book now and again, or I'll write to a friend that I know in a different part of the world. But you embarked on something that was, I, I would say, unbelievably ambitious. Um, and the fact that you pulled it off uh, it, it is is utterly remarkable, actually, and, and 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 all credit to you for doing so. But again, the fact that you were willing to go with it and and let it take you to places that you didn't know you were going to, and it's led to the incomprehension workshop. It's led to you doing the second update, and it's led to you continuing your blog. I think is also credit to that notion you talked about earlier. You know, the further you go the further you, you, need, you need to go. And I think it's a remarkable story. And, and uh, that, just, just to, to kind of close, really, for, for, for the last five minutes. So to, the, the power of stories. I mean, stories obviously play an enormous role in your life, clearly. They have done for, forever. Um, but if you, were, if you were talking to somebody who'd never read a book, let's say somebody's listening to this podcast, they've never read a book, They've never really been interested in stories. They've never understood the power of what stories bring to um, to us as people. What what would your advice to them be, other than get reading? But what, why would you why would you say to them, "Come on, stories matter, and and you need to really get involved." I think stories are a way of connecting with other people's experience that you can't really have by other means. Um, when you listen to a news broadcast, when you um, meet someone, uh, we all have our sort of our defences up to a certain extent. If you encounter a, a chugger in the street and they tell you a story about a place, we all we feel sort of this obligation to act. You have to be in the world um, with that information. With a story, you can let go of that. It's about play. And actually, as a result, you can be a bit more vulnerable and open and you can explore, you can sort of let go of the boundaries of yourself a bit and wander into someone else's head for a while. Um, and that is incredibly um, transformative, really. Uh, and I don't think, I mean, it comes with a health warning, quite honestly, because when you do do this, when you really do read with an open mind, when you really do explore beyond the boundaries of what's familiar to you, you won't remain the same. Um, you will change. And there'll be some comfortable assumptions and things that you'll have to let go of and some things that you've chosen not to look into or maybe you've even not realised you're ignoring that you'll be forced to examine. And that can be uncomfortable, but it can also be incredibly rewarding. It can be like the view you get when you travel that distance is so much further and richer. Um, and the ability you have to connect with others is so much deeper, I think. So, yeah. 
And it's a lot of fun. It's there are some amazing <laughs> stories out there. There's incredible jokes. There are incredible insights into things that you wouldn't even imagine. You know, ways of using your brain that you wouldn't even think of on your yeah. own. So, and I think yeah. it's uh, yeah, they're they're, they're brilliant um, observations and brilliant lessons. And I think, without wanting to get too serious, because um, this isn't a serious podcast, but you know, I think one of the powers of storytelling is the ability to create and build empathy and put yourself in other people's shoes and and find ways as you say um really eloquently of uh, of of understanding other people and and you know frankly if if ever there was a time that the world needs more of that you know now, now is it and i think the other thing about stories and about storytelling is uh, unlike much of the debate and dialogue and you touched on this earlier much of the debate and dialogue that goes in the world uh, around at the moment it, 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 which is black and white Storytelling is highly nuanced. Stories yeah. are highly nuanced. They have nuances that, you know, are rich and they're deep and they're diverse and all the things that you've um, discovered through your amazing journey. Um, I'm going to finish off with a question and it's the question we're going to use. We're probably going to ask all of our guests consistently because um, maybe we'll build up our own book of the month. Or um, You've got one book to take with you to the desert island. Uh, what would it be and why? Well, this is a book that whenever I'm asked what is the favourite book from your quest, I say I don't have a favourite. However, there is one book that I often talk about, which is an extraordinary book. It's a memoir. So most of what I read that year was fiction, but there were the odd memoirs. And this was a memoir called An African in Greenland by an extraordinary man called Tete Michel Plamassi and translated by James Kirkup from the French. Now, this is the story of... Uh, Tete Michel's journey from Togo to go and live with the Inuit in Greenland when he was a teenager. He ran away from home because he was afraid of snakes and he was being forced to go and live with the python cult in the jungle and he discovered a book about Greenland in his local bookshop and, and felt that not only were there no snakes there but no trees in which they might hide and so he ran away from home, spent 10 years traveling up from Africa and um, made his way to Greenland and lived with the Inuit for two years. Um, he is, the book is so full of joy. It's so full of curiosity. It's so uh, full of fun and full of love of humanity and um, just general excitement about discovery. Um, and I always felt a real affinity with this book and felt that there was a real affinity between the sort of discovery I was trying to do through reading and the sort of discovery that this man had done with this quest. And so on my blog, when I first wrote about the book, I called him the writer I would most like to meet. Uh, and this year I managed to talk to him on Zoom. Oh, wow. He is now, he is now 80. He lives in France. Um, he's an extraordinary, extraordinary man. Our conversation was one of the most joyful things I've ever experienced. Um, and we, we grinned at each other. We beamed. His book has been re-released this year as a Penguin Modern Classic. And I held up a copy of it and he held up a copy of one of my novels, um, which totally floored. I had no idea. I was absolutely <laughs> thrilled. Um, and um, anyway, he's moving back to Greenland. Um, he's going to live his final years, he says, in, in Greenland, writing about his childhood. But it was it, honestly, it's such a joyful read. I can't I can't um, recommend it enough. And say so if I were alone on a desert island, I can't think of a book that's more um joyful about human connection and possibility and um, exploration and and resilience so yeah that would be my that's fantastic and and a brilliant way um 
a brilliant way for us to finish this podcast. Many of the things you've just described there in that book are, are things that you yourself have, I think, brought to this journey. You know, you obviously have a real joy for, for, for stories, but the curiosity you've displayed in doing it is remarkable. Um, and, and the humanity that you've unearthed, really, in the communities that have come together and the stories that you've read are, I think, genuinely, honestly, life-affirming. And I think uh, talking to you today is, is, is quadruple, five, six, seven, eight times as joyful as I felt when I first listened to your TED Talk. Um, I think uh, it, it's the most remarkable story, the most remarkable idea, and I honestly cannot think of a better way for us to have kicked off this series, Stories That Matter, than talk to you, Anne. I hope um, people have enjoyed listening to this. I know they will have done. I hope people go and buy your book, Reading the World. I hope they come and see you at the Chantling Literary Festival. I hope they look at your incomprehension workshop because all of the things you're trying to do, um, I, I think, are um, really fantastic and, and I think you know make a, a, a huge difference potentially to people's lives as do stories so uh huge huge thanks to you Anne it's been a real pleasure and uh the very very the very very best of luck with everything you do moving forward and uh with the second edition of the book and and you know certainly your work with Cheltenham as you as you make up the job as you say that you've now got (laughs) uh which I wish I could do a job swap you you know I wish we could do a job swap and I could do that job instead sounds like a fantastic job but good luck with everything thank you so much Thank you.